All right, Revelation chapter 3 is what we'll be tonight. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22 is our passage that uh, we'll be uh, studying tonight. And as you're finding that, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word out of respect and reverence for it. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Well, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Lord, thank you for all that you've done already in our midst uh, this morning and, and even tonight, uh, Lord, through the music and through these children's memory verses, what a blessing those were. But Lord, now as we look into this passage and, and study this church, Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, learn the lessons and apply them to our, our own church and our own individual lives. And we'll thank you for all that takes place now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated once again. Well, tonight we come to the very final church addressed in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And as when one reads the messages of Christ to these seven churches, a basic format is noticed. If you have been kind of paying attention to it, uh, you'll notice that uh, these letters have a commendation, something that the Lord praises in this church. Um, typically, there's rebuke. Uh, for something that went went wrong and, and things were not right in that church. Uh, and he exhorted them and gave them kind of a challenge to get some things right, and then he leaves them with a promise. Well, there were some exceptions to this format. Uh, first of all, when Christ addressed the churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia, he offered no rebuke. These were churches that uh, only had things that the Lord praised in them. Um, but then when he comes to the church of Laodicea, the church we're going to study tonight, he offered no praise at all. There was no praise in which he was able to find in this church. What a shame it would be for Christ to look down upon this church, Cornerstone Baptist Church, and find nothing worthy to praise. But as awful as that thought is, this is exactly the condition that was going on in the church of Laodicea. Now, just a quick background, and, and I know that not everybody's remembering all of the where these cities are located. Um, the, basically, all of these cities here in, the, in Revelation 2 and 3 are all located in uh, modern-day Turkey. Um, 
And so uh, Laodicea is in that, in that same area as well. Uh, it was actually very close in proximity to the town of Colossae. And as we uh, talked about that church uh, several weeks ago, even months ago now, um, in fact, if you want to just kind of turn over to Colossians chapter number 4, and, and this city of Laodicea is actually mentioned in the book of Colossians. Again, because of, I believe, the proximity of Colossians to Laodicea in location. Uh, verse number 16 of Colossians chapter number 4, it says, uh, Paul here is writing to them, and he's, um, well, well, we'll start in verse 15. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and Nymphus, and the house which is in his house, or the church which is in his house. Uh, evidently, um, This could mean that Nymphus was the church pastor there of the church of Laodicea, and the church building was in his house. Uh, That's pretty much, uh, you can deduce that from verse 15. Verse 16 says, And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans. So he said, this book, the book of Colossians, I want you to read it as a church, but then I'd like you to go ahead and take it over to the church at Laodicea and let them read it too. I want them to benefit from uh, these truths as well. But then keep reading here in verse 16. It says, And that that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And uh, many Bible scholars believe that Paul did write a letter to Laodicea, although um, it's not in our Bible, it's not in the canon of Scripture, um, and I don't really know all the reasons. You can, that's an area of study that I would invite you to go and search that out. Uh, but evidently, he did write a letter to Laodicea um, because he visited the church at Colossae or, or he, he heard about the church at Colossae and, and the Laodicea was so close. So he wanted to kind of have a dual ministry there with those. And so he wrote a letter evidently to, to that church. Um, that's not necessarily pertinent to the message. I just thought that would be interesting for you to know. And uh, again, an, uh, an invitation and a challenge for you to uh, go research that a little bit more. And, uh, and also, uh, I'll just say this. I'm going to scratch the surface on this passage here in Revelation chapter 3. There is a lot that could be said from this passage. We could be here for several hours talking about this passage. I don't think anyone wants to be here for several hours talking about this passage. So again, with, with any of these messages, I'm, I'm mostly scratching the surface, and I would invite you to di- dive, dive a little deeper, dig a little deeper, and uh, find out more information. And there's a lot of truth that you can glean from this passage. Uh, but we're going to get the general concept tonight, and uh, that's what we're going to be after. So let's briefly break down this letter um, to the church at Laodicea this evening. First of all, in this we see, number one, the condition of the church, the condition of the church. And in verse 14, he, uh, he again is reminding us who the author is. These things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And of course, that is none other than Jesus Christ. Um, and in fact, Jesus Christ, we, we, we often don't think of him as part of creation, but really he was very integral in creation. Um, if you want to look in uh, Colossians chapter number 1 again, this isn't in my notes, so we'll see how well this goes. But Colossians chapter 1, 
and then uh, John chapter 1, and then Hebrews chapter 1. All right, these are the different places it talks about how Jesus was part of creation. All right, yes, in verse number 15 of Colossians chapter 1, talking about Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And then verse 16, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. So Jesus was part of creation according to Colossians chapter 1. And then also according to John chapter 1, let me uh, find that here. In verse number 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and we find out later that the Word referenced here is, a, is another name for Jesus Christ, because in verse 14 it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, well, verse 1 says the Word was, was God. Verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So according to John chapter 1 and according to Colossians chapter 1, Jesus was there and part of creation. He was the Creator. And then in Hebrews chapter 1, it also says that as well. And uh, let me see if I can't find that real quickly. This one's a little harder to find. Okay, verse number 10. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. Again, referring to Christ. So Jesus here is obviously the one who is the author, but I just wanted to point out that a lot of times we, when we think about creation, we kind of think of God the Father. But really, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all part of creation. They all, had, uh, they all were the creator in that regard. So verse 14, that's what that talks about. Okay, here we get to the condition of the church. Verse 15, back in Revelation chapter 3, I know thy works. And again, he said that to every one of the churches, right? He knows our works. Then he says that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So here we see the condition of the church. And it's broken down here. Uh, I've broken it down for you. First of all, they were sickening. <laughs> they were sickening. Well, verse number 15, uh, well, verse 16, it says, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I will vomit you up. You're an abomination to me. You make me sick, is what he's saying. And it was because they had a very neutral temperature. Um, it was not something that made the Lord happy. They were lukewarm, and uh, lukewarm is not a pleasant temperature, according to the Lord. He would rather you be cold spiritually than lukewarm spiritually, which to us doesn't make a lot of sense, but to the Lord, it's the way it goes. 
And so it kind of got me thinking about my own spiritual temperature. And uh, I was asking myself these questions, and I want to also ask you these questions. What is my spiritual temperature of my walk with God? I mean, how, how hot is it? I think probably most of us would say, well, it could be hotter. <laughs> it could be better. It could be more on fire for the Lord. It could be hotter. And, and uh, we would say, well, it's, you know, maybe not cold. You know, I love the Lord and I'm here tonight, aren't I? And, you know, I, I, I try, but I, maybe I'm not where I maybe used to be or know I should be in my walk with God. So I would guess I'm somewhere in the middle. Well, right in the middle there is this area called lukewarm. And God finds that particular spiritual temperature sickening. Remember, it was Jesus who said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. In other words, He wants us to be spiritually hot for Him. So what's the temperature of your walk with God? What's the spiritual temperature of your church attendance? Now, I'm speaking to people who are here on a Sunday night, and I'm thankful for that. But there there are some people who only show up on important occasions in life. These are the only time the pastor ever sees some people is when they're hatched, matched, or dispatched. You know, we see the family when the children are born, dedicated to God, and they're here, and boy, it's a big moment in their life. The children are here, and let's go to church. Maybe when the children get married, then we go to church. They get matched up, and uh, then we go to church. Or when they die, when they dispatch this life, then they go to church. For a funeral, and that's the only time some people ever darken the door of a church. I want to encourage you to not be lukewarm in your church attendance. Uh, to understand that, and I'm not just saying this because uh, I'm trying to get a big attendance. That is not at all why I'm saying that. The reason I'm saying it is because I know it's healthy for you, and it's healthy for us when you're here. Because you're part of the body, and we need you, and you need us. We need each other. And when you're MIA, it's hindering your spiritual growth. And by the way, it's also hindering ours too, because we need your spiritual provoking. We need your sharpening. And so we can't be, uh, and, and, and the writer of Hebrews says, look, we need to be fervent about this we need to be so much the more as you see the day approaching not so much the less and not we we get so bogged down with other things that are not near as important as church and i get things come up i get health issues and i understand all that and i'm not trying to browbeat anybody i'm just trying to say where is your what is your spiritual temperature regarding church attendance how about your witnessing how about your uh, evangelism. What is the spiritual temperature of your witness for the Lord? Uh, when was the last time you did witness for the Lord? When was the last time you talked to a neighbor, a family member, a complete stranger about the gospel? When was the last time that you opened your mouth and shared the gospel or 
attempted to try to talk to someone about the Lord? What is your spiritual temperature regarding all that? How about your uh, spiritual temperature regarding giving? I mean, are you willing to give or are you withholding from the Lord? God wants us to be uh, spiritually fervent regarding these areas. Some 30 to 50 million armadillos live in the United States. Any given year, approximately a quarter to half a million will become roadkill. How many of you have ever seen an armadillo on the side of the road? Okay, most of us have. Uh, we saw it when we moved down here. We finally saw an armadillo. And I'm like, That's an armadillo on the road. Yes, I have arrived. I'm now an American. Um, we didn't see those in California or Montana. We saw a lot of deer in Montana and squirrels and rabbits and stuff, but not armadillos. That's more down in this area in southwest uh, America. Well, the sight of their smashed carcasses is quite commonplace in the American southwest. Even with all its natural defenses of thick, leathery, armor-like skin, the armadillo consistently learned a little too late that the middle of the road is not the safest place to be. In fact, National Geographic reports that it is the nine-banded armadillo's hapless propensity for being run over by cars that has earned it the nickname Hillbilly Speed Bump. But here's the question. How about us? Have we been duped into thinking that the middle of the road is the safest place to be in our walk with God and our relationship with Him? I mean, let's not commit, let's not take a stand, and above all, let's not take the risk of offending anyone in this day of tolerance, in this day of politically correctness, and this day of social media blasting. And if you say something that may be intolerant, then okay, well, now my name's going to be all over social media. So we camp out somewhere in the middle only to find out a little too late that we've made a hillbilly speed bump of ourselves. And this church was these armadillos that were out in the middle. They didn't really want to take a stand one way or another. And they were lukewarm. And as a result, they were sickening to the Lord. Uh, I wonder if maybe in some area of your life that you might be causing the Lord a little stomach ache. As I thought about this truth in my own life, I realized there's some areas in which there's, there could be a turn up of the heat in some areas. There needs to be because there's some lukewarmness in my own heart. So they were sickening. But also, not only that, in this passage, we find that they were satisfied. They were satisfied in verse number 17, because thou sayest, I'm rich and increase with goods, and have need of nothing. They were satisfied. I mean, in this, they first of all, they declared their spiritual bounty. They said, spiritually, we're overflowing. It was like the, uh, the offering that took place in the book of Exodus when, when Moses said, oh, we need to tell the people to stop giving. We have too much. People keep giving offering. I don't know that that'll ever happen here at Cornerstone, by the way. <laughs> I don't know that I'll ever say, please tell the people to stop giving. Um, 
But it happened there as they were uh, doing this offering for the tabernacle and trying to get these goods that they needed in order to build the tabernacle. Well, this was the church, and they felt like, we have everything we need. I mean, we've simply arrived, right? We feel like we have it all. And this is often true of Christians today. To hear them talk, I mean, they're all right, and everything is in order. The sad thing about the situation is these people won't seek the Lord until they find themselves helpless and hopeless. Uh, The church at Laodicea, I'm sure, had... The three B's all churches want. And every church uh, wants these things. They had buildings, they had bodies, and they had bucks. And, uh, and they had plenty of them. They thought, man, we've got it all. And they were good. Or so they thought. You see, in the eyes of Christ, these are not the barometer for a successful and healthy church. And if you recall, the name of the series is Marks of a Healthy Church. And uh, they thought, we have the marks of a healthy church. We've got the buildings. We've got the bodies, and we've got the bucks. Now, I'm thankful for the buildings that God has given Cornerstone Baptist Church. I am. And uh, I'm thankful for the facilities God's given us and the property He's put us in. I mean, these are first-class facilities, really. And uh, I'm thankful for the bodies that God has given Cornerstone Baptist Church. I'm thankful that there are people here tonight. And we're not exactly BBs in a bowling alley. Uh, There have been churches like that, and there have been services here that are like that too. But uh, I'm thankful that that God has brought some good people in our church. And uh, in a few minutes, when we get to the, um, if I ever finish this message, we'll get to the business meeting and look at the bucks. And we'll see that God has blessed us in finances. And I'm thankful for that. But look, none of those things mean that our church is successful completely. The Laodiceans were relying upon it and said, Look, I am increased with goods. I I am rich. And I have need of nothing. We're set. We're good. But think with me for a second. Well, let's suppose tonight, how many of you are hungry right now? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of you are hungry. And now that I mention it, probably more of you will start getting hungry, especially as I go through this illustration. Let's suppose after church tonight, you think, I could really go for a nice, thick, juicy ribeye steak. And if you're a godly Christian, you will order it medium. Maybe medium rare, I can give you that one. But if you start going the opposite direction, you're, you're losing your spirituality for sure. But you go to this really expensive restaurant that's known for their steaks, and you say, you know what, I'm going to splurge, I really need a good steak tonight. So you get to the restaurant, you look over the menu, you do pick that ribeye, and you pick it to be ordered how, and, and cooked to your liking. And... Uh, and, they, and the waitress says, all right, sir, well, I got the, uh, the ribeye here. It comes with a couple sides. What would you like? And you're like, oh, yeah, um, I guess I'll do uh, mashed potatoes and uh, green beans. They're like, all right, sounds good. We'll have that out shortly. And so you start getting hungry, and you start smelling the cooking, and, 
and uh, you can't wait. Finally, the uh, waitress comes and sets down this giant plate, and it has the mashed potatoes, and it has the green beans. And they set it down, and they say, all right, does everything look right to you? And you say, absolutely, I'm good. Well, what are you missing? You're missing the most important part, which is the steak. That is the moral of this message. The steak is the most important thing. No, that's not the focus of the message. But the idea is, when you go to a restaurant for a steak, if you don't get the steak, you've missed the most important thing. Well, this church at Laodicea, what they did was they were focusing on the sides, and they say, we have all the sides. We're good. We have need of nothing. But were they good? They were not good because they didn't have the most important thing. They didn't have Christ in their church because we'll find him later outside of the church trying to get in, knocking on the door and saying, hey, would you let me back in? I think there's a lot of Christians who, or churches who have all the sides and, is, and they think that because they have the sides, they're set. But they're missing the most important element, and that is the Lord. You remember the song we sang this morning, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today? Again, there's a lot of churches out there that have a lot of buildings, a lot of bucks, a lot of bodies, and they think we have the sides, we have need of nothing. We're good. And meanwhile, the Lord is on the outside of the church saying, hey, would somebody please let me in? Because some time ago, they thought they had, they had all that they need, and they forgot that you need me. So they declared their spiritual bounty, but next, God deemed them spiritually bankrupt. They said, we have need of nothing. But here's what the Lord said. He said, knowest not thou, in verse 17, knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He said, you know what? You think you have it all, but you have no idea how bankrupt you are. You're putting too much emphasis on the sides and not on the main course. This church may have appeared good outwardly, but God sees the condition of the heart and He knows who we are on the inside. The Bible declares that the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Hebrews 4.13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So this church felt like, man, exteriorly, uh, from the outside looking in, we have it all. We're rich, increased with goods. We're good. We have needed nothing. The Lord who looks past the facade, sees who they really are, and sees that they are spiritually bankrupt. And so that's true for churches, but that's also true for individual Christians. You can say, well, look, I, I have the right appearance. I'm here at church, aren't I? I must be doing good spiritually. The Lord looks past all of those exteriors and he sees who we are on the inside. And so try as you might, 
You can fool me, you can fool one another, you can fool your family members, you can fool your coworkers and your friends and your neighbors, but you cannot fool God. You cannot hide from Him. God deed them spiritually bankrupt because He sees who they really were. So that's the condition of this church. But notice here, secondly, the counsel of Christ. The counsel of Christ in verse number 18 We find the counsel of Christ here. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. Well, they thought they were rich, but the Lord deemed them as poor. And so he counseled them to buy of him gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be truly rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. Remember they said we were increased with goods, but the Lord said, no, actually uh, you're naked. And so he said, I want you to come to me and, and, uh, so that you may be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with salve that thou mayest see. Because remember, the Lord said that they were blind. And so here, the counsel of the Lord, first of all, is to seek the Lord. Because the Lord is the one who knows what they need and has the ability and power to meet those needs if we simply would seek him. Matthew, Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And that's what he's saying to this church here. Stop relying upon the bodies, the bucks, and the buildings, and start seeking me again. Start seeking my power and my uh, provision in your life. And I want to encourage us, I mean, again, I am thankful for the, the blessings of God and the sides that God has blessed us with. But we cannot rely upon them, and we cannot think that we're a spiritual church just because all of these sides have been met. We can't forget the main course. We can't forget the stake. And the stake in this situation in a church is the Lord Jesus himself. We can't kick him out and say, we don't want you because we don't need you anymore. Look at what we have. By the way, all those blessings that God has given us, it was God who gave them to us. It wasn't like we earned them ourselves. It was God who was gracious to give us the blessings in the first place. So why would we kick him out? We're kicking out the source of the blessings. And yet that's what the church at Laodicea did, and and I believe a lot of churches here in America do. And by the way, Cornerstone Baptist Church, we are not immune from this, and we are not... Uh, I'm not saying we've done this, but I'm saying we need to be careful because uh, we can fall into the same trap, just like many have. So we need to seek the Lord. Uh, We need to not rely upon the sides. Psalm 20 and verse number 7. Let me go ahead and turn over there. I didn't actually put the verse in, so I'm going to have to turn over there. The old school preacher needs to do this. Psalm 20 and verse number 7. The Bible says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. I want to encourage our church to not trust in chariots and, or in horses. And these are the sides. These are the blessings that God has blessed us with. And tonight as we discuss some of those in our, in our meeting here in a few moments, I want to encourage us not to put too much 
stock in those and not to rely upon them and trust in them like what we hear here, uh, we read here in uh, Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. The verse could read, some trust in their buildings, some trust in their budget. But we're not going to trust in any of those things. We're going to remember the name of the Lord our God. We're going to keep our trust in the Lord because He is the source again of all of these blessings. So the counsel of Christ is to seek the Lord. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me, uh, to seek Him for the provision, uh, to be uh, healed with their blindness, to be clothed and to cover their nakedness, and to uh, get materials to uh, help their, their poverty. So first of all, he counsels them to seek the Lord. And then secondly, he counsels them to repent of their sin. In verse number 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Repent. Apologize for trusting in the sides. Apologizing for thinking that you don't need Christ right now because everything's going well. And that is the danger, by the way, of having tremendous blessings. Is all of a sudden we don't think we need the Lord in our lives anymore because things are going well and I don't need to pray anymore. And uh, by the way, that's why the Lord does allow trials into our lives, to keep us on our knees, to keep us in awareness that we always need the Lord, that we need the Lord Every hour I need thee. So to repent of that uh, selfish, self-made, I don't need the Lord anymore, to repent of their sin. But then also to be zealous. Again, in verse number 19, be zealous therefore and repent. To be zealous. The word zealous comes from the Greek word zelo. And it means to have warmth of feeling for. To desire to have a fervent desire for someone or something. And he says, be zealous, therefore. Let's turn up, the fan the fuels uh, so that the, the heat gets turned up again because the flame of fire had dwindled in their hearts and their temperature had dropped to a sickening, lukewarm temperature. And the Lord counsels them to fan the flame of affection for Christ once again. You know, oftentimes in our marriage, my wife and I will have, have gone seasons without having a date night. And, and distance starts to take place in our, in our marriage, and it's not horrible, but I would maybe say it's a lukewarm relationship. And so we need to have those date nights to keep the, fan, the, the flame fanned, to keep that, that zealousness going between us. Maybe I would encourage you tonight, if maybe you have, are sensing some distance between you and the Lord, why not have a date night with the Lord? Why not carve out some time where it's just you and God? Maybe you go to a park. Uh, maybe you have some special time in your break room. And you just spend time with Him, some extended time with the Lord. Uh, we encourage you to do that with your spouse and with your children. Why not with the Lord? To get that flame turned back up again, that maybe the embers have died down a little bit and it's time to get that flame going again. 
Well, that song that uh, we sang tonight, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Do you understand how much you indeed need the Lord? Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. And so we see the counsel of Christ. And then thirdly and lastly tonight, we see the challenge to the congregation in verse number 20. And behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him, will sup with him, he with me. The challenge to the congregation includes two categories. He challenges the sinners, and he also challenges the saints. Now, the context of verse 20, of course, is to the church. A lot of times this is used in evangelism, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But certainly, uh, this was to the church family. So it primarily refers to believers who have been living without the need of Christ. And he's wanting back into their lives. And maybe there's been some time since you've really spent time with the Lord. And you know what that's saying? That's saying that you don't need the Lord. And that's communicating that, hey, I've got this because everything seems to be going well. Work's going good. Family's A-OK. Church is just dandy. I don't need the Lord anymore. Uh, we need to be careful that we don't get to that complacency in our life, in our Christian life, where we think we don't need the Lord. Prayerlessness is a key indication that you are pushing the Lord out of your life and saying, look, I have time for a lot of other things in my life, but I don't have time for you. And I don't need to make time for you because everything's going well. And you know, by all, all exterior, you know, all appearance, the church of Laodicea may have been like an ideal church. Their church website may have listed all of their ministries and it, they, the facilities were just drop-dead gorgeous. And uh, I mean, they had, they had it all. But they got complacent and felt like, well, we don't need the Lord anymore because we have so many of these blessings. We got to be careful with that. But first of all, to the sinners, the, the challenge here is, again, the context of verse 20 is to Christians, but we can certainly make application to those who are not Christians. Because in any congregation, maybe even tonight, there's someone here who's not yet a Christian. And this verse was written to them as much as it was written to the believers themselves. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, will sup with him, and he with me. He's not going to beat the door down and, and, and barge in on you. That's not the way the Lord works. He could do that, but honestly, no one would really want that. He waits for you to open the door. He waits for me to open the door. Holman Hunt painted a famous picture of Christ as the light of the world, depicting the Lord wearing the crown of thorns, and he was standing outside uh, of, a, of, a, of a door, uh, patiently knocking and calling for admittance. Well, a copy of this painting now hangs in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And when it was first displayed, critics came to comment on the work. Well, one of them turned to the painter and said, Mr. Hunt, you've painted a beautiful masterpiece, but you've made one very serious mistake. 
You painted a door without a handle. Oh, that is no mistake, replied the artist, because the handle is on the inside. He said it's for the Christian or for the sinner to open up and to let the Lord in. And so tonight, I want to encourage you to open the door to him tonight. But also to the saints, there's a challenge here, and we'll end with this tonight. Verse number 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. Once again, the last words are to the overcomer, those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he gives a special a promise, a special challenge for them to overcome, for them to believe on Christ, and then he is going to grant them the opportunity to sit with him in his throne. I don't exactly understand all of the implications of that. Feel free to do further study. Um, but he does give a challenge to the saints. So as we close tonight, I just want to ask the question, what is your spiritual temperature? Are you cold? Are you hot or somewhere right in the middle? Are you a hillbilly speed bump? Because if you're in the middle spiritually, that's what you're going to end up being. And I would encourage us tonight to turn up the temperature in our spiritual relationship with the Lord. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, we thank you for your letter here to the church at Laodicea. Help us, Lord, to take heed lest we fall, lest we become like the church at Laodicea. Lord, I, I don't ever want to become like that. Lord, as, as your blessings continue to abound in our church, we are so thankful. But Lord, help us to never get to the point as a church family where we think we don't need you anymore. Help us, Lord, in our own individual lives to make sure that we don't get to the point where we don't think we need to spend time with you where we don't think we need to spend time in prayer, spend time in your word, because when we are, we're pushing you outside the door. We're thinking, we're rich, we're increased with goods, we have needed nothing. But ultimately, Lord, we become spiritually bankrupt as a result. We're missing the most important part, the most important element. And that's you. Oh, we need you, Lord. Every hour we need you. Help us to remember that and to realize that and to even make changes in our own lives tonight that would help us to remember that. Help us to keep you first.